Well, hello. I'm Harley, and this is Deadly Damsels, Women Who Kill, where I tell you crazy stories about women who decided to kill. Today, we're going to be talking about Sarah Johnson, who chose love over her family in the most sinister way. Before we get started, I just want to say that I'm also covering unsolved cases on TikTok. My TikTok username is H-A-R-L-I-E. A, if you'd like to join me. You can also visit my website at www.crimeweirdos.com for more information on the podcast, all of my social media accounts, and more. With that being said, let's jump right into this episode. Sarah Johnson was born on January 24th, 1987 to Alan and Diane in Bellevue, Idaho. Sarah grew up in a stable household and would be described as a normal kid growing up. By the time she was in high school, she had met her first love named Bruno Santos. Bruno was a 19-year-old high school dropout with a history of violence and was also a drug dealer. Of course, Sarah's parents were not happy about this. They did not want her dating someone that much older than her. She was 16 at the time when she met Bruno. And they obviously didn't want her to date someone with his kind of criminal background. See, her parents, Alan and Diane, they were longtime sweethearts. They had been together for nearly 20 years by 2003. Their family seemed to be the picture-perfect family. They had their 22-year-old son named Matt and then, of course, 16-year-old Sarah. Matt, however, was not Alan's biological son, but Alan had adopted him soon after he and Diane had gotten married. But they had a nice house just outside of Sun Valley, Idaho, and Bruno, on the other hand, he was from a really poor part of town, and I'm not sure if that mattered really all that much that he wasn't as wealthy as they were, but either way, he would soon become the topic of discussion within the Johnson household, and these discussions were not friendly. Within weeks, fights and arguments regarding Bruno would become a daily occurrence, so much so that outsiders even knew about these arguments. Friends and family would say that this once close-knit family was being torn apart with each argument and tensions were rising. But it wasn't just Sarah's parents that weren't happy with the relationship. Sarah's friends were also unapproving. They were afraid for her and could see that she had been going down a really dark path with Bruno. But even though her friends and her family begged her not to be with Bruno and to just find someone closer to her own age or just not be with anyone at all, Sarah would not listen. You know, like the kind of got to figure it out on your own type thing need to experience it experience things for yourself to really learn from it (laughs) yeah um yeah totally relate yeah she had absolutely no plans of cutting things off with bruno in fact they were planning their future together it's said that sarah and bruno did seem to be really in love he would come to her volleyball practices and come support her at her volleyball games which i think is kind of cute honestly but his background, of course, like, I wouldn't want my daughter dating someone that's a drug dealer. So I can, I completely understand that on that level. I can, I can relate with both Sarah and her family, you know, on different levels. Right. So. so let's get to Labor Day weekend of 2003. Sarah's aunt and uncle had come to stay the weekend with Alan and Diane because they had some Labor Day weekend plans. And Sarah's like, oh, I don't really want to stay here with the adults. I kind of want to go out and stay the night with my friend. So, of course, they think this is a girlfriend from school, and they let her go. 
Well, Sunday comes around and Sarah is still not home at the appropriate time when she said she was going to be home. So Alan and the uncle, they go out looking for her and they find her car at Bruno's apartment. So, of course, this sparks some rage inside of Alan because he is already completely fed up with her being with Bruno. Now that he had found out that she was lying about staying at a friend's house and actually going to see Bruno, he was furious. He runs up to Bruno's apartment, knocks on the door, and demands that Sarah go get into her car and follow him home. He tells Bruno that if he sees him with his daughter again, he's going to the cops and getting him for statutory rape. Damn. So, yeah, like, he pretty much gets in his face and tells him, like, do not contact my daughter again. Do not come see my daughter again. And he's serious about it this time. Yeah. So when they arrive back home... A fight breaks out and the aunt and uncle are just kind of like, okay, we're going to go. We're going to let y'all settle this. Sarah's dad grounds her, takes her keys, and sends her to her room. Sarah's brother Matt would later say that Sarah took this punishment really well. Usually when she got grounded, she was throwing a fit, not happy. He said that she really had a hard time admitting when she did something wrong. In her mind, she was always right. And she always had to have the last word. But this time, she kind of just went to her room and kept quiet. She was fine. She seemed fine. But three days later, in the early morning hours of Tuesday, September 2nd, 2003, Sarah had decided she had the perfect plan to end the disagreement of her relationship once and for all. Sarah had wandered to the guest house that they had been renting out to a man named Mel Spiegel. He was an electrician and had planned a week-long trip to Boise, Idaho, and he would not be there for that entire week. So while in the guest house, Sarah had retrieved a Winchester rifle. With the weapon in hand, she goes back to her house and began towards her parents' bedroom. While her mom slept, she placed the gun to her head and pulled the trigger. Oh my gosh. Her dad was in the shower, and once he heard this gunshot, he quickly wrapped a towel around himself and began to go out. He had seen Sarah standing there with the gun and begged her not to shoot him. But despite his pleas, she fired. He was able to make it towards the bed and a little bit further where she shot him again. See, like myself, Sarah had grown up in love with true crime. She had watched so many true crime shows and movies that she thought she knew how to pull off the perfect murder. So after she... So after she shoots her mom and then her dad, she began to stage the scene to make it seem like an intruder had committed the crime. She placed two knives at the end of her mom's bed and then took the scope off the gun and placed it back in the guest house on the bed. She left the gun in the bed with her mom. (laughs) Like, I have no idea why. But apparently she she was trying to frame Mel for the murder, completely disregarding the fact that he would have a solid alibi, seeing as how he's out of town for an entire week. So once she was content with the staging, Sarah runs to her neighbor's house in complete disarray. She's screaming, crying, begging her neighbor to call the police that she believes her parents had just been shot. Kim is the neighbor and she goes over to the house. She wants to see what's going on for herself. And as soon as she sees blood in the hallway, she runs back down and calls the police. The police arrive on scene and begin investigating right away. Sarah tells the police that someone had broken in and shot her parents while she slept in the room directly across from them. She said her door was shut and that she didn't even know at first if what she heard was gunfire because she said she had never shot a gun before and she had never heard gunfire before. 
So initially, she didn't know whether her parents had been shot or not. <laughs> wow. Let me tell you why this little bitch is lying already right off the bat. When Sarah was younger, she was a daddy's girl. She always wanted to be with her dad, no matter where he went. And a lot of the time, where he would go would be hunting or to a gun range. And guess who would tag along with him? Sarah. And guess who got to fire the guns? Sarah. So Sarah had been lying right off the bat. But initially, police had believed her because she was so such a good actress, I guess. Right. So once the police get inside, it is a bloody mess. There was blood and hair on the carpet, blood on the walls, on the ceilings. What's really fucking disturbing about this case is she shot her mom point blank in the head. Her mom's head was gone. The, her skull cap was found in the hallway before even entering the bedroom. And it's said that their bedroom door was like propped open with pillows for some reason. Apparently it got really hot in their room and they had made like some sort of tunnel to get the cold air to come through. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But this is what's really messed up about like just her mom's skull is in the hallway. Just there. Just think about doing that to mom. I could never, I could never do that. That's crazy. Yeah. Blaine County Sheriff Walt Fleming had said it was the most disturbing crime scene he had ever seen. So, (laughs) I think Sarah planned this this way because the trash was going to be coming that morning. The garbage truck was literally two houses down when the police arrived. So, they caught them just in time. They shut down the street and they said, nope, you're not collecting any more trash. And thank God they did that because in the trash can they found a bloody pink robe one leather glove and one latex glove, each for, like, opposite hands. Uh-oh. So, by this time, friends and family had began arriving to the house. They were obviously distraught. They had no idea who would want to hurt Alan and Diane. They couldn't believe that this had happened. It wasn't long before they had realized that something just wasn't sitting right when it came to Sarah. She wasn't acting like a child that had just lost her parents would act. No. She was literally standing at the fence watching her parents be brought out on, like, stretchers. Just sitting there watching. What the fuck? No emotion. No, she wasn't crying. Nothing. Sheriff Walt Fleming had noticed this odd behavior, too. He said, quote, Most 16-year-olds, they would not want to sit there on a fence and watch their parents come out in bags. End quote. Yeah, Yeah, me neither. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, so not only were family and law enforcement noticing these strange behaviors, her friends were noticing them too. They had believed she wasn't even genuinely grieving the loss of her parents. She had been really worried about going to get her hair done, get her nails done, and all of that. Like, she wasn't, and anytime anyone would bring up, like, how her parents didn't deserve to die, like, they can't believe it, she would just roll her eyes and get really annoyed by that, by that. (laughs) I mean, wow. Even with all the suspicion surrounding Sarah, law enforcement were still 100% convinced they were going to find Bruno's DNA on the gloves that they had collected. In their minds, they knew they had their killer. It was Bruno. It couldn't have been Sarah. Couldn't have been the 16-year-old daughter. You know, it couldn't have been her. But they mm-hmm. were not they were not even questioning Sarah at that point. Yeah. They were like, "We've got our guy already." But Sarah's friend Chanel wasn't so sure. See, she was convinced that Sarah had done it when she came to volleyball practice one day and whispered into her ear, quote, find Bruno and tell him that I love him no matter what, end quote. That's when she said that 
she realized Sarah had been the one that pulled the trigger. So they test Bruno's DNA against the DNA found on the gloves, and it comes back that it is not Bruno's DNA, obviously. So this is when law enforcement were like, okay, we really got to start looking at Sarah. She was the only person in the house, and they they had realized that she was lying right off the bat because, like I said before, her room is directly across from her mom's room. Remember, she said she was sleeping when the gunfire happened, when her parents were shot, right? That would woke her up. Not only that, but when they did the like investigation of the house, there was blood and tissue splattered on her bedroom wall, which would have meant that her door had to have been open at the time the guns were the gun was fired. Yeah. So they had already known like something's not adding up here. This inconsistency about her bedroom door being shut, her not knowing this is gunfire, this is enough to arrest her and begin questioning her. Soon after they arrest her, they take her DNA and test it against all the evidence that they had found, and it was a match. So here's what really happened. Sarah had worn her pink robe backwards, so like... It was covering her, okay? Yeah. She put a shower cap on her head, which would later be found by a plumber who they asked, you know, come, we need to figure out if anything was flushed. So they found a shower cap that had her mom and dad's blood on it. And inside the shower cap were some hairs that were Sarah's. Yeah. Yeah. So she had a shower cap. She dressed for the occasion. Like, she knew what the fuck she was doing. Mm -hmm. She had this robe on backwards. She had a shower cap on her head. She had gloves on. On the outside of the gloves, there was gunpowder on an And on the inside of the gloves was Sarah's DNA. So they had her. Like, they, yeah. So on October 29th, 2003, Sarah is then formally charged with two counts of first-degree murder. She's charged as an adult, even though she is 16 at this time. But since she kept denying it, they would have to go to trial. So at this trial, different friends and family took turns testifying against Sarah. And among those were Sarah's brother, Matt, and surprisingly, none other than her first love, Bruno Sanchez. Testifying against her? Yes. Oh because he gosh. wanted everyone to know that he had nothing to do with this. He was yeah. completely innocent. Right. And I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. So as Matt's testifying, he tells the court that Sarah and their mom had never really gotten along. And though he obviously loves his sister, they had never gotten along either. He also said that their parents would, quote, do anything for her, end quote, except allow her to be with Bruno. But the night before the murder, she had called Matt. She told him that she was grounded and that her car had been taken away. But Matt was kind of like, yeah, I know. Mom already told me. Blah, blah, blah. But he kind of sided with with the, his parents. Like, she, he, she didn't need to be dating this 19-year-old yeah. boy. See, he was always on board with what their parents said. One week before the murders, Sarah had gone to Matt asking him for advice. See, they had a family wedding they were going to be attending. And Sarah goes to her parents and she says, can I bring Bruno with me as my date to the wedding? And of course, they're like, no, like you're not bringing him to the wedding. So she goes to Matt and she's like, what what should I do? Like, I need them to let me bring him. And Matt was like, it needs to stop. You already know how they feel. Stop being disrespectful, basically. You need to respect their wishes until you're 18 and you're in there yeah. I mean, out of their house. That's I mean, it. Like you right. have to, you have to respect what they say. Then Matt goes on to say that the story Sarah had told him was pretty much the same as what she told police. Her story was this around 2 AM that Tuesday morning, someone had arrived at the house uninvited and unannounced. 
She said that both Alan and Diane had gotten out of bed to go figure out what was going on. They wanted to see if there was anyone in the house. So they walk through the house, they check it out, no one's in the house. So then they go out into the yard and they walk around and no one's there. So they just go back upstairs and go back to bed. But then she'd gone to say that later they were shot by this unknown intruder that was unseen. (laughs) Invisible. Invisible. (laughs) But Matt knew, like, right off the bat when she's telling him this, he's like, this is kind of bullshit. Because he would describe her as someone who lied a lot. But every lie was rooted in a seed of truth. Like, when she'd tell her parents she was going to spend the night with a friend, she really was going to spend the night with somebody, but it wasn't a friend. So what? Was she the invisible intruder? I guess so. (laughs) Because, yeah, someone had shot shot him. true. It was her, though. So, this is what he said. He said his mother would have stayed in bed. Like, I would have. I'm not going to get up and go look around. I mean, so he's adamant. Like, my mom would have stayed in bed. She's not going to get up and fucking tiptoe around the house to see if there's an intruder in the house. So, that's the first thing. He says, no, my mom would have stayed her ass in bed. Yeah. And... Then he goes on to say that Alan would have called the police. If they really thought there was an intruder in the house, the first thing he would have done was call the police. police. And also, he would have let the dog out of the kennel for protection. Because obviously, like, a lot of people, they get dogs for, like, companionship, but also for protection. So why would the dog just be stuck in the kennel? Like, if he's going out to check the yard, I would think he'd, you know, be putting a leash on the dog and taking him with him. Mm -hmm. But Sarah's defense team would continue to say Sarah had absolutely no blood on her, which means she could not have committed these murders. But if it weren't for them, and and so that's why I'm saying thank God for this trash, because if it weren't for that, yeah, yeah, you couldn't have linked her. She would have got probably gotten anything. Yeah, she probably would have gotten away with this. But her DNA is inside the gloves, inside the shower cap. That was her pink robe that was in the trash. But her defense would continue this on and on. No blood, no murder. No blood, no murder. Like, she did not do this. There's no way that she would have had no blood on her, basically, is what they're saying. She did. She just threw it away. (laughs) Yeah. Defense would also point out that for two years prior to these murders, Sarah was clinically depressed, which... They're saying she didn't do it, so what relevancy does her mental health have? Right. Like, oh, so we're not getting anywhere with this no blood, no no guilty verdict thing. So now they're trying to, like, pull out some, like, oh, maybe she was, you know, not mentally sound when these murders occurred. <laughs> they would go on to say, even though she did have depression, she there was no history of violence. She was never violent with anyone, apparently. And there was also no sign of ever being abused. Mental health professionals did evaluate Sarah, and they did say, you know, she probably did have depression. But she wasn't insane. She was of sound in mind. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So on March 16th, 2005, five weeks after the testimony, Sarah is convicted. She received two concurrent life sentences plus 15 years for firearm enhancement. Plus, no chance of parole. So, she's... Yeah. Yeah. Then, three years later, Sarah tried to have her sentence reduced, but the sentence would be upheld. The judge said that she is a threat to society. They are not letting her out. Yeah. Sarah's family would later say that they still love Sarah, but described her sentence as, quote, something that had to be done, end quote. So, her entire family 
pretty much knew that she had done it and that she was going to have to pay for it. In 2012, Sarah's lawyer asks for a new trial, but this request was denied in October of 2014. Also, I need to point out that Sarah did have a motive, and it's a motive that you're pretty much like, yeah, she fucking did this. Yeah, because she wanted to be with... Yes, she wanted... Not only did Bruno. she want to be with Bruno, she wanted her parents' $680,000 life insurance payout. Yeah. So she could take that money and build a life with Bruno. She wanted to buy a house. She wanted to get married, wanted to have kids with him. And this money would help her do that. And and on top of that, her parents are out of the way. Mm-hmm. They can't say shit about it. I was going to ask sooner, um, earlier, if she was getting a freaking insurance payout or something for that. Because, like, what would be... Why would she fucking kill her parents? But... Yeah, it was yes. kind of like a it was like a win-win. She yeah. doesn't have to deal with their shit anymore and then she gets all this money. She is currently imprisoned in the Pocatello. And I don't know if I'm saying this right. She's currently imprisoned in the Pocatello Women's Correctional Center in Idaho. Oh, and you know what else is weird? Like you know how like the murders, the Idaho murders, mm-hmm. the um, University of yeah. Idaho, that is where her brother went to college. And when I was reading this, oh, I was like, okay. there's so much shit that yeah, happens there. Like, it's, and then like Washington yeah. State University. So that definitely was like, gosh, dang, that yeah. had me thinking about that case. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I guess yeah. that is all for this episode. It was a crazy one. Yes, it was. Pretty much all of them are crazy, though. Yeah. We'd never have not a crazy one. (laughs) Anyway, we will see you next week. Like I said, I still don't know if Austin is a permanent resident, but we'll see. Yeah. (laughs) I'm shooting that way. With with that being said, we'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Bye.